Hi guys and welcome to Crisis, your weekly gaming podcast brought to you by the Middle-Aged Gamers. As per usual, hosted by Francis and my trusty companion, Daniel. So, this week, not a lot has changed in the gaming world. There's a few sort of snippets of news that we'll cover. Uh, but before we go into that, is there anything that's changed in your current gaming schedule at all, Dan? Just finishing off some things that I was playing before, so... Uh, a bit of Rise of the Tomb Raider and a lot of Mario Odyssey. Ah, cool. How are you finding Rise? Uh, really good. Uh, graphically fantastic. Not quite, you know, Uncharted, but um, but but pretty good. And um, a lot of adventure to be had for the uh, the price. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, when I picked it up, I picked it up at a bargain price. And for the amount of content that you get, being the fact that it was delayed a year. Uh, due to Xbox exclusivity or a timed exclusive, uh, the fact that the package comes with all the DLC um, is a must-buy, really. Uh, and I'm kind of really looking forward to playing the next one that comes out. I think I can't remember if it's in September or November, uh, but either way, yep. Shadow of the Tomb Raider is out this year, which will be a, a must-buy for me, I think. Yeah, it's not that long away. Yeah. Uh, so for me. Um, my gaming schedule's changed uh, completely. I'm usually one of those people who jumps from game to game. I never really stick with a game for a long period of time unless it grips me. Um, but all, literally all I've played this week is Fortnite. Uh, season 5 came out. Um, it's the first time ever that I've invested real money into a free-to-play game as well. So I picked up the Battle Pass, uh, which was seven ninety-nine. Adds... Uh, challenges to the game, you unlock more items, cos- cosmetics and things like that. So, sad to say, I'm addicted to Fortnite. Sounds like you're as ad- addicted as my 11-year-old. Yeah, yeah, I probably am. Um, <laughs> even to the extent that when I was uh, at work on my lunch break, I was searching YouTube videos of how to become a better gamer at Fortnite, all the tips, the, the techniques, how to build faster, I even watched a few live streams and just trying to pick up the techniques. So it's kind of gripped me as it's gripped the nation and even the world. So. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I I thought I'd regret doing so. Um, I've actually put a lot of games aside that I've bought recently just to play the game as well. So I don't know how long the Fortnite fever is going to last, but till now I'm actually really enjoying it and I'm kind of not, embarrassed to say that so so yeah so Fortnite yeah. season five is amazing anybody wants to pick it up it's free unless you want to buy the battle pass but um news wise this week there have been a few things that have come out um the first thing on our news agenda is rainbow six siege um has started auto banning players um and it's caused a lot of frustration uh, in the gaming community back in april ubisoft did declare that they would be changing the way that the banning system works for Rainbow Six Siege, uh, trying to stamp out any toxic behavior. Um, So basically the the way that the news article has gone is they have added something into the chat uh, with regards to Rainbow Six Siege. So any form of toxic behavior, um, any 
language or content that's deemed illegal, dangerous, threatening, abusive, obscene, vulgar, racist, sexist, ethnically offensive, or anything constituting harassment, you could face a ban, essentially. So first instance, I think it's something like 27 minutes. Um, and then a second or third instance, you could result in a permanent ban. Um, what are your thoughts on, on people getting permanently banned from playing a game, Dan? Um, I suppose you've paid, you've paid for it, so it's kind of a shame that you'd get banned. But to be honest, I don't want to play with racists, so I'm all right with it. Yeah, I think the problem that people are facing it are is people in the community are kind of influencing or duping people into saying these things. Um, I don't know how you could influence somebody to be a racist or something, say something homophobic, but whether they're sort of putting people into a trap uh, just so they say certain words, which instantly gets them banned. So it's kind of a tricky situation, really. Back in the day on PC, though, people would um, put in the chat, you know, for instant reward, press Alt F4, which would uh, drop you out of the game immediately. So... Uh, I suppose if you're dumb enough to be racist uh, or press Alt F4, you deserve what's coming to you, I guess. Yeah, I think there was a similar thing in Counter-Strike Source when uh, I used to play it when I was in college as well, where I can't remember, I don't think it was, it was just a specific F key uh, that if you pressed it, it would shut down. I think it shut down Steam as well. And like, that was the best thing to get stupid players out of your game, really. So, so whether they do yeah. a, a U-turn uh, on the severity of the bans, we'll see. Um, the next piece of news is over the weekend, uh, I think Friday and Saturday, uh, Nathan Fillion uh, of many different fames, uh, if you've ever watched Firefly, you'd know who Nathan Fillion is, um, tweeted out a few teaser images uh, on his Twitter and his Instagram page that he would potentially be playing Nathan Drake. Um, so a lot of excitement from fans, a lot of retweets. Uh, but it came out today that he had released a 15-minute fan film um, portraying uh, him as Nathan Drake. Have you had a chance to watch it yet at all, Dan? No, I haven't watched it. I haven't even heard of it. It's amazing. It's actually amazing. To be fair, like I think the first time I played Uncharted 1, Uncharted 2, probably going into the Uncharted 3 era... Uh, and watching different things that Nathan Fillion had been in, I've always associated his face, his wit, his sort of comedy style to be well-suited for playing Nathan Drake in an Uncharted movie. Problem being now is he's probably deemed too old to play that role. But after watching this 15-minute short movie, which is incredibly directed, he acts really well in it. It's got um, action, the comedy, even sort of, bundled into this 15-minute section, it kind of shows Hollywood what an Uncharted movie could be. Excellent. Uh, you'll have to send me the link. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And anybody else sort of listening to podcasts, if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, just YouTube, uh, Uncharted fan film. Um, if you visit our Facebook page, I'll post a link there. But an Uncharted movie has already been scheduled. Uh, Tom Holland, who played uh, Spider-Man in Spider-Man Homecoming, has been dubbed to play... I think he signed on uh, with Sony to play Nathan Drake. Uh, as a young Drake, in Uncharted 3, you start off as Drake as a young boy. I think it's set in that era. It kind of hints upon it 
in Uncharted 4 at the beginning as well, but I'm not too sure where the timelines are going to sit with the movie. But if they can have Nathan Fillion on board to play Drake, an older Drake, maybe talking about the story, that'd be incredible. But Sony need to get on that one. Um, but yeah, definitely check that one out. The third item on our news article is a modder has apparently fixed the AI problem uh, in the forever doomed 2003 Aliens Colonial Marines. Um, did you play this game when it first came out, Dan? Aliens Colonial Marines? Yes. Yeah, it was, um, well, it was a disaster, but one of those disasters that I just couldn't stop playing. Yeah, I kind of found the same. Um, it was reviewed really badly. Uh, I think it was the first instance where it was plagued by the downgrade. Um, it was shown at E3 many moons ago to be this amazing new alien game, sort of like the Alien 2 game that everybody wanted. And when it came out, it was broken. The AI didn't work. You had aliens that just kind of didn't do anything, uh, ran into walls, but it was quite addictive. Um, it's one of those games where I, I picked it up recently on the and just thought, how could they get a game so wrong? Um, but it's come out that a modder has basically found a line in the code that was misspelled. It's as simple as that. So the, the modder himself, his name is James Dixon963, uh, essentially went through, data mined the files and found an, a .ini file, uh, which had the last prefix attach uh, pawn to tether, but they'd actually spelt tether wrong, which basically meant that when the code was uploaded into the game, the AI didn't work, it was broken. So that kind of explains the reason why that game was so bad, and it's taken five years for somebody to realise that somebody's made a spelling mistake, which is crazy if you think about it. Yeah, you'd think the developers would have picked up on this. It's, um, it's quite shocking, really. I think in some respects, perhaps it shows how Gearbox just gave up on the game. Yeah, I think that it had a development hell, um, it's sort of going up and down with budgets and things like that. I think at one point, potentially, it may have sort of been set to cancel. So, But the fact that they've made just one simple mistake, which could have made the game brilliant, just it's kind of laughable, really. Um, it will kind of bring us on to the main topic of this uh, episode, which we'll come on to later. And it may even crop up as one of our games that we, uh, we enjoyed, but nobody else did. Um, <laughs> so the last... A uh, new segment before we get into the uh, the main sort of article uh, of this podcast today is uh, Bungie have announced that Destiny 2 has a new PvP mode that's coming to the uh, the Forsaken uh, update when it launches later on this year. Have you uh, read up on this new mode at all? Um, Frank, you know what a big Destiny fan I was. I... I'm so out of the loop on this. I just, I've, I'm at the point with Destiny where I just, I'm not first, and I haven't even heard of this. So you've actually given up on Destiny after all this time and investment that you've put into the franchise. You've finally given up. He's saying I should get back into it. It's no, just PvP no, no, mode. No, 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 no. Well, it might be. I'm not. I. I I can't comment on anybody else's gaming habits. Everybody's gaming habits are different. If you like something, good for you. I'm not going to knock you for it. I'm not one of these people who are like, oh, you've got an Xbox or you've got a Switch. Or gamers are gamers. It doesn't matter what you game on. Obviously, I personally had a bad experience with Destiny. But 
I traded it in when I needed to. I got my money back. I played what I needed to. But as a community, a lot of people still play that game. Um, yeah. So the mode in question itself uh, is called Breakthrough. Uh, it's basically, it sounds a bit like Domination uh, mixed with sort of a Rainbow Six Siege mode in a way. Uh, so basically Breakthrough has two different phases. Uh, in the first phase, two teams of four race to capture a single point called the Breaker. Um, in the second phase, uh, depending on which team captured the Breaker or not, uh, the teams will either go to attack the other team's vault or alternatively they will defend the vault depending on what happened um, mm -hmm. it sounds interesting in premise but is it just a sort of a recycled mode from other games that they're just trying to bring in to please fans i'm not too sure yeah possibly um i think with destiny 2 they've lost a lot of people um I'm not convinced that Forsaken is going to bring a lot of people back, but it'll probably keep those that are still there for the time being, um, if they're willing to shout out for it. Yeah, I think with the Destiny, Destiny community, you have got the diehard fans which will take that grave, uh, take that game to the grave with them. It would probably be the Desert Island disc game uh, if they had to pick one. Um, but I think the make-or-break situation, which we've obviously discussed before, is the price tag on the new DLC. Is it going to send people away? Um, if you've paid the money so far, you probably can pay the money again, and you'll justify the reason why you spent so much on the expansion. Um, is it going to have the content that everybody expects? Probably not. The other ones haven't, and people, people have bought them. So, are Bungie going to go out of business? Not anytime soon, I don't think. But... Mm. Only time will tell. Um, give it a chance. See what happens with the reviews. If it's anything like the other was, it's they're going to make money, but it's not going to be great DLC. But the people who are going to buy it have probably paid for it already. So, long live yeah. Destiny. You know, you might go back to it. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see on that one. Um, so the main focus of today's podcast uh, is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, do you want to explain what the good, the bad and the ugly is going to entail, Daniel? Yeah, so we're basically thinking of games that um, are really, really good. Games that you could go back to again and again and again. That's the good. Um, the bad, games that you, um, you pretty much had high hopes for and those hopes were dashed and you just really were disappointed in the game. Uh, I won't do this game. It's the aliens. Well, maybe, maybe, but I won't, I won't be choosing that one. I'm not going to choose Destiny 2. Um, the, uh, the Ugly is a game that everybody else thought was ugly, but you really, really liked. Um, what what game did, did most people think sucked, but you had a lot of fun with? So that's the itinerary. So if we start off with... We'll go for the good straight away. We'll kick, kick straight in. What would you define your good game to be well since you mentioned we were going to do this and i've been thinking about it i've i reckon i've got to go for the game that i have replayed the most um interestingly that means that it is a game that's quite old um yeah it's again it's been remade been remastered uh and i would go for halo combat evolved because 
it was the very, very, it, it's not without its faults, not by a long shot, but um, it was the very first, if you weren't a PC gamer back in the day, Halo was really the very first great um, first-person shooter experience on, on a console. Um, there were others. I mean, on, on PlayStation, there was Siphon Filter and a few few other kind of first-person or third-person shooters. But but Halo really captured the, the PC experience on a console, I think. Um, and that's, that's why it's up there for me. Yeah, to be fair, that's a good choice. I think... The problem with these sort of discussions is as soon as people mention specific games, you're just like, oh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Like, the fact that you mentioned Siphon Filter is one of my favourite PS1 games of all time. But I completely yeah. disregarded that when I was thinking about uh, doing this episode. Um, There's so many games going through my mind. Obviously, we've both been gaming for a long time, decades even, and there's so many specific experiences that I've had, and I don't want to invest that as my choice as my sort of my good game but my game of choice um i've actually got two so i kind of cheated but um, <laughs> my first game is bloodborne um the reason i picked bloodborne is it's the, the the probably the only game that i've completed over 15 times um the more you progress in that game the easier technically it is uh to complete again um, but everything about that game just screams out at me like an experience that I want to revisit over and over again. The gameplay mechanics, uh, the setting, the music design, the weaponry, the costumes, the enemies. Um, the fact that the gameplay itself is very unforgiving until you learn the mechanics of the game. Um, there's a lot of strategy involved. Um, it's hands down, without a doubt. If anybody asks me the question, what is your favourite game of all time? And they say, oh, it's probably going to be The Last of Us or it's probably going to be Uncharted or something like that. I'll always come back to Bloodborne just due to the fact that I've completed it so many times. I can pick it up at any point in time and enjoy playing through that game and I get lost in the world. Um, my second choice um, is probably quite controversial and it probably could fit in a different category but it definitely doesn't constitute as being an ugly game uh is dragon age inquisition which is probably not everybody's favorite dragon age game um but i love that game so much uh i've completed it a couple of times uh i've ran through i've got the platinum um, there's just something about that game that draws to me. Every time that I play it, I always find something new. Similar to when people sort of describe Skyrim, like they go into the world, they find something different. And I, I'd say it's Bioware's last game. I know Anthem's coming out and it's a different genre, but I'd probably say that's the Bioware's last decent game that's going to be in the RPG genre. What are your thoughts on Dragon Age and Bloodborne, actually? What, what would, what, what would, where would you class them in your gaming top 100 so it, it's interesting that you said that dragon age inquisition is a controversial choice um because well i i really enjoyed dragon age inquisition um but i do agree that maybe it's not the best of the dragon age games um but it was a really great open world mm -hmm. game that i that i really enjoyed getting into um and it's interesting for bloodborne as well because i think that's that's controversial as well because um I don't think there's anyone out there who would say, no, Bloodborne's not a great game. The style, the look is fantastic. Graphically, um, it, it, it just, it, 
it blows me out of the water. I couldn't click with it and I found it rage inducing in its difficulty, but I know that's one of the things you loved about it. Yes. Yeah, for me, um, Bloodborne was technically my first Souls experience. I had Dark Souls on the PS3, but it's one of those games where I had so many games on the go at once. I think I bought it secondhand, it was really cheap, I put it in, I played it for about 10 minutes and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then something else came out, whether it was Uncharted that I soaked loads of time into. But when I picked up Bloodborne on the PS4, I played it, I completed it, I completed it again, and then they think I completed it again, and then I went for the Platinum and I just, I just couldn't put it down. Um, but yeah, the difficulty curve is one of those things that's, it's a make or break game, isn't it? Like, if you can't get on with the difficulty straight away, you're probably going to pass on it. But it's one of those games that I urge people who sort of say that is, go back to it, revisit it, learn by your mistakes, get past the second boss, because the second boss is probably one of the hardest bosses in the game. And then it just opens up and it's one of those games that you just can't put down. Talking about games that you couldn't put down, these are probably games that you probably should have put down. What would you constitute as your bad game of choice? Well, a game I wouldn't want to pick up in the first place. Um, oh, but you did. <laughs> a game that I was really looking forward to that disappointed me greatly, um, and this is, again, going back a while, uh, Age of Empires 3. Oh, okay. That's an interesting choice. Didn't expect you to say that. Go on. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed Age of Empires 1, Age of Empires 2. Uh, well, it wasn't called Age of Empires 1. Of course, it was just Age of Empires. Um, and um, I, I was really hyped for the series going 3D. Um, I really felt that they um, were going to have these massive maps with uh, fantastic units uh, and a real good span of time. But the actual span of time within the game was relatively short, I felt, compared to the other two games. Um, the unit choice was somewhat limited. Um, and, and while I did enjoy the game, um, it, it left me, when I finished with it and moved on from it, thinking back on it and, and feeling uh, that could have been so much better. And, and uh, so, yeah, Age of Empires 3 is my disappointing game. Oh, it's, it's a good, bad choice. Uh, I think everybody of a similar age to ourselves have very fond memories of the Age of Empires games, especially myself of Age of Empires 2, because I think that's the game besides uh, the Command & Conquer series that really got me into real-time strategy games. Um, even to the extent I always remembered putting in the cheats and getting the, the AC Cobra car that had the machine gun, and that was like the coolest thing in the world when I was younger. Um, but yeah, no, that's a really good choice. Um, my choice is one that comes up a lot when it comes to bad games. I think the problem for me is I've played so many games over the years, there wasn't one game really that stuck into my mind of being super disappointing. I've played loads of games that have been generally bad, but not to the extent that I kind of would, would want to break the disc or go straight back for a refund. Um, but the one that screams out for me is No Man's Sky, and a lot of people <laughs> yeah. and a lot of people would say that. Obviously, it's known to be one of those games that is the, probably the biggest disappointment in modern gaming times. It was overhyped. There was a lot of things that were promised in that game that weren't delivered when it first came out. Understandably, the game development team at the time I think were only twelve people strong. 
but they stated in that game that there, it would be a lot of things that it wasn't. So since launch, this game has been patched. They've added loads of free content to make the game better. I'm not too sure if it's out yet, but it's soon to come out on the Xbox One um, with all the sort of the, the up-to-date patches. The main reason is I wanted a game similar to uh, the Elite games uh, that I played with my dad uh, back on the Amiga 500 days where you had a spaceship, you can fly into ports, you could trade. Yes, the graphics were primitive, but they were very vast in the sense of the RPG elements. A lot of the story you kind of read via text and things like that. And I was kind of hoping this would be the game that would break that cycle again, where it was a vast space. You could go to whichever planet you wanted, which you could do. Take it for granted, there were loads of planets. Uh, the planets themselves are absolutely massive. You land on a planet, you push forward. It'd probably take you up to 10 to 15 hours to get back to the same spot if you're walking in the same direction. So scale-wise, it's incredible. Gameplay-wise, it's super boring. There is literally nothing to do in that game apart from farm for resources, and that's pretty much it. And um, you know, the problem with No Man's Sky is they needed some form of enemies. Uh, there is there's some form of AI that attacks you in the game. Uh, you go to a planet, you collect resources, and these uh, drones come after you, basically telling you to stop mining and you have to move on. Uh, some of the wildlife on the planets you can attack and they attack you back, but there's no real purpose to the game, um, which is a real shame because there was so much promise. Only if they added some form of enemy, which changed depending on which planet you were on, um, and there was a purpose for you to go to the planets apart from mining stuff. Um, so, yeah, so that's my biggest disappointment in gaming history, along with many other people. Did you ever get to play No Man's Sky, actually? I don't think we've ever discussed this together. Uh, no, I haven't played it, but I was reading about it the other day. Um, I saw that, yes, they're about to release it on Xbox One, along with the fourth uh, large update. But a lot of people who have been playing it were talking on Reddit about it, and they were saying that there still remains um, very little to do in terms of actual content in the game, and it's kind of become like uh, Minecraft in space. You, you fly between planets build bases, move on. Yeah, and that's pretty much the premise of the game, obviously. It's very relaxing, I'll give them that. The soundtrack's cool. Um, it, it, it's one of those games that's a bit like a story cassette tape. Uh, if you want to listen to it to go to sleep at bed, that's probably the way to go. This is a game where if you want to play it to relax, you've had a stressful day, it's probably one of the best choices for that, but that's probably about it. So, with regards to the ugly games, what, what would you define as your ugly game of choice? Um, my, my game that I really, really enjoyed for, for all its bugs, uh, it, its failures as being an enjoyable and pleasurable game, but still I found fun within it, mainly about the bugs, was the, uh, the, the 2013 uh, video game of Star Trek. Um, did you ever play that on PS3, Frank? Is that the one based on the film where you, you've you got Kirk and Spock? Is that the one? Yeah. No, I yeah. never got to play it. I think I watched a video review on it once. Um, I purchased a PS3 two Christmases ago, um, and I bought loads of cheap games. And that's one of the games that I kind of looked and thought, oh, do I get that? But I never actually got to play it. So 
Why was it the ugly game? Why did you enjoy it so much? Well, graphically, it was fairly um, ugly. It was kind of uh, bog-standard environments. Nothing that really stood out as being, yes, this is a Star Trek environment, um, apart from the bridge, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing that made me love it so much was the hilarious time that I had with Spock. So you play Kirk in the game, Spock is along for the ride with you as almost like a, a, an AI cooperative character with you. Um, if you ever do pick it up, Frank, um, first thing, back Spock into a corner and keep walking towards him. Okay. While aiming your phaser pistol at him because you will keep walking towards Spock, Spock will be trapped in the corner. Therefore, graphically, Spock will become larger and larger and larger as you shrink, as you move towards this ginormous Spock. Okay. Um, which, which, when I could trap Spock in a corner, was hilarious. But then there was also other fun things with Spock you could do, like um, use his amazing teleporting power. So I'm walking along through the wonder of stereo audio. I can tell that Spock's behind me, mm. right? I turn around. Spock is there. Yes. I turn back around and walk towards the door, okay? If I then turn around again and back towards the door in, at an angle where I can't see Spock, Spock will miraculously teleport to be behind me. Okay. Um, so, so there were lots of moments where the AI would automatically move Spock around the map. And there were, there were great moments where you could uh, back towards things and then trap Spock in a wall and turn around to see this sort of uh, strange uh, beast of Zach Quinto kind of leaning out of a wall, uh, sort of shaking himself all over the place. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed the bugs and uh, shooting stuff with phasers. Cool. So, under the assumption that I can find that in a bargain bin somewhere, which I'm sure I will be able to, I'll have to pick that up and... Uh, Check that out, because especially the... They never patched it. Yeah, well, I doubt that. To be honest with you, I don't think they would have gone back and patched anything in that game. I'm, If I remember rightly, um, the film did really well. But the game itself, as most movie tie-in games do, it didn't sell very well. So I, I wouldn't have thought they would have had any reason to go back. I'm sure the uh, the community weren't crying out for us. Like, oh, please, please fix this. But... Sometimes those sort of glitches kind of like make the experience for the game. Obviously, hence why that's the uh, your ugly game of choice. So if I bought it full price, I would have been gutted, by the way. But I picked it up for like a fiver, so. Oh, so that's that. That's not too bad then. But yeah, I can imagine the uh, the people who paid forty pounds for it at launch were uh, pretty upset. <laughs> so. I cheated again uh, with my ugly games. I've I picked two choices. Um, and yet again, they are probably quite controversial choices due to the fact that some people probably enjoyed these games, but definitely a lot of people slated the games when they came out. Uh, they're very controversial uh, with regards to them being the technically the worst in the franchise history. So my first choice is Final Fantasy XIII. I am a massive Final Fantasy fan. Um, much to the discussions that I've had with many people, Final Fantasy VII is not my favourite Final Fantasy game. But Final Fantasy XIII is hands down my favourite Final Fantasy game, um, which is very controversial itself, because 
the first entry uh, that the PS3 had um, was Final Fantasy XIII. They changed a lot with regards to gameplay mechanics. The battle system was completely overhauled. The game was very, very linear. But that's the reason why I like this game so much. So a lot of people sort of criticized the game when it came out because it kind of led you down a path. Um, the story was very cliche. But if you go back and play this game today, which I did at the beginning of the year, I started playing through it again. The graphically, it's incredible. Uh, Story-wise, to me, it's really emotional. Uh, there's a lot of sort of things that hit at home. Um, the combat system for me is my favorite combat system uh, in any Final Fantasy game. Uh, the way it works in the class system, the way that you can switch things up. For me, the easiest way for me to explain the battle system to other people who aren't used to Final Fantasy games is it's like playing a game of chess. You kind of need to know when to change up your strategy. You kind of need to um, preempt uh, the enemy's attacks and things like that. Um, <clears throat> how do you feel on sort of JRPGs in the Final Fantasy series, Dan? Um, I haven't played uh, very many at all. I played Secret of Mana back in the day. Um, but no, no, not really. I haven't, I haven't really played any. I haven't played a Final Fantasy game. That's shocking. That actually shocks <laughs> me. Well, to be honest with you, it doesn't necessarily shock me in the sense of you're not really into your JRPGs. I get that. But I think the principle, the fact that you've never played a Final Fantasy game, is just like, why? What have you been doing for so many years? What's going on? I, play, I played the demo of 15, but um, I think... I've just always more focused on Western RPGs uh, and just never got around to it. Cool. Sounds like something's going down in your hotel room, Dan. The police are coming. The... Oh, that was outside, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I didn't notice that. <laughs> so, anybody listening, uh, Dan's actually away uh, this week, uh, hence why he's recording from a hotel room. We managed to set it up last minute. So if you hear any gunshots going on, it's because he's in the hood and that's why the sirens are going off. Um, I'm in the Halifax hood. In the Halifax hood, yeah. So, just for anybody who wants to know who hasn't sort of gone into the Final Fantasy franchise, um, a good starting point is Final Fantasy XV, but it's not a Final Fantasy game. Um, going into that game, it's very westernised. It's a hack and slash game instead of a turn-based combat system, but it's pretty. It has a good story. It's a good starting uh, point, um, but... If you're on current-gen consoles, I'd probably say go for the Final Fantasy X, X-2 remaster. Um, Final Fantasy X is an incredible game. Final Fantasy X-2 is a bit meh, but Final Fantasy X, for the price point you can get it for, it's definitely a must. Um, the second one on my ugly playlist is one that flew under the radar. Um, when EA announced this game, it was supposed to be the next best franchise. It was supposed to go places. It was supposed to be a game that they could sort of rely on for a numerous amount of years, numerous amount of sequels, but it never happened. So the game in question is Kingdoms of Amalar. It's a sort of hack and slash, massive open world RPG. Uh, there are incredible combat elements in this game. The story is really cool. There's really cool NPCs that you meet. The side quests are really in-depth, but it, in the critics' radar, um, and for everybody else, it just kind of fell flat. Um, I know your sister, in particular, kind of enjoyed this <laughs> game, didn't she, Dan? Yeah, um, I, I played it quite a lot, and then 
one day I was talking to my sister and she said, I've been playing this fantasy game where I get to be an elf and do this. And she was talking about it. And I said, is it called Kingdoms of Amala? And she said, yeah, that's it. And I was just absolutely shocked that she'd been playing that. But uh, yeah, she really enjoyed it. Yeah, to me, it's, it was one of those games where you could just pick it up. Uh, it doesn't matter where you were in the story. You could just sort of go in, fight a few enemies. You could do the main quest if you wanted to, or you could just visit the towns. And the progression system was really cool. It took quite a long time to level up, but I think in total I invested maybe 50 to 60 hours into the game. Um, I've actually gone back to it since buying a PS3. Uh, and sort of picked up where I left off, even though I didn't have any of my original saves. But if they could remaster one game, I would definitely pick that game to be the one remaster I could have. I would love to play that in the current-gen state with up-to-date graphics. It would be an amazing. And a lot of more people would get to experience that game because it's definitely one of those games that flew under the radar. The, um, some of the environments were really, really... Um unique as well. Early on there was a place with really, really big tree trunks, really thick tree trunks and that was stuck in my memory and it, it was good because um, because of these large tree trunks you could sort of see a little way into the forest um, and it gave you a bit of a, a mystery of what was going on deeper in. Um, I suppose technically it gave them less to model as well so it was sort of a, a technical reason as well but it looked really good yeah i think because of the the hardware restrictions uh, they had to make this massive open world and the map itself is absolutely huge um they had to make it work on the hardware and i think on a design standpoint because um todd mcfarlane uh who is famous for creating spawn um, was actually in on the design of the uh, the enemy characters, the monsters, and I think he had a, a little bit to play with the um, sort of like the set design and the level design. They kind of invested that money um, and obviously his expertise to make the game look really authentic. Um, it's one of those games where as you're going around, depending on which area you're in, the aesthetic changed, the enemy types changed, and you kind of felt that you were in that world even though the graphics back then were quite primitive in comparison to like the witcher 3s and the skyrim enhanced editions now even going back to that game you kind of felt that you're part of that environment which is really cool like so anybody who has a ps3 i'm not too sure if it's on backwards compatibility on xbox one or the playstation now platform i'll have to check that out but if you've got an xbox 360 or a ps3 the game's probably about 50p uh, in your local CEX, go pick it up, give it a chance. You won't you won't be disappointed at all. So that kind of wraps it up with regards to the good, the bad and the ugly. Obviously, if anybody has any suggestions on their own, by all means, hit us up on our Facebook page. Um, it's Middle Age Gamers. Just search that on Facebook if you're not already a member. Uh, and by all means, we can cover your choices at a later date. We do have a few questions for this episode. Um, which we will cover quickly before we leave you guys. So the, the questions this week uh, came from Graham Stewart, who is an admin uh, over at one of the Facebook pages that I follow. So give him uh, a quick like if you have a chance. Uh, hit them up at PS4 Photos, Videos and Chat. It's a great community, uh, 20,000 members strong. 
Um, every week they put up reviews, discussions. It's, it's a good community to be part of if you're not already. Uh, so Graham's questions this week is uh, firstly about PSVR. Uh, and he writes in saying, will the PSVR still be around in the future? Um, he says he's only tried it for a couple of weeks, but he can't see it lasting. Uh, what are your thoughts on the VR sort of situation at the moment, Dan? I don't want to sit in my living room with a helmet on because I know that my wife will sneak in behind me and jab me in the ribs, tickle me, something like that. Um, I think it, it, if you're going to be set up for a long period of time and you're going to be able to put that on and sit in peace and quiet, then yeah, it's it's enjoyable. I tried it around friend's house. Yeah, it was it was good. It wasn't amazing. Um, I tried uh, Rigs, uh, which was which was quite good fun, and uh, Resident Evil Seven. Mm. Resident Evil Seven was the best experience. Um, I but I, I agree. I can't quite see it lasting. I don't think enough people are going to invest. I don't think it's uh, it's going to take off half as much as Sony had hoped. Yeah, so I think for me, uh, obviously, Sony were trying to get into the market. Oculus Rift and HTC Vive became really popular really quickly. Um, but probably to the detriment of Sony investing so much money and time into the hardware, it hasn't sold as many units as they probably expected to. Um, whether that's mm. been because the, the launch price tag was quite high, it was actually more than buying a PS4 console uh, on its own. And I think the major problem for me and the reason why I personally haven't invested in one yet is the lack of third party support. So the main contributor for content, apart from obviously Sony first party studios is Bethesda and Bethesda seem to be the only company that are currently on board with PS PSVR. Uh, obviously they bought out Fallout 4, um, Skyrim in VR, Doom, VFR, I think they called it. Um, I'm not too sure if 76 is going to have VR support, but I know uh, Todd Howard was kind of saying like it works for them. Um, they have obviously the engine to support it and it supports it well. He kind of said that they didn't sell as many copies of Skyrim uh, and Fallout in VR as they had expected to or hoped to, but they would continue to support it for as long as Sony support them. But as a business model, I don't think that's enough. So. Obviously, answering Graham's question sort of straight, can you see it lasting? No, not at all. Will they have it on the next-gen console, whether it be PS5 or whatever they call it? It's going to support the old headset, yeah, but I don't think there's going to be any games for it. What do you reckon? Um, well, you look how Microsoft tried to keep Connect going. I think it's kind of going to go the same way. There might be a new version, but it will probably be just a slight bump on the the, uh, the old one. Resolution change, things like that. Uh, um, I don't see a whole new version that completely overhauls it, makes it this wonderful system. No. I think for me, the only thing that could potentially bring it in the, in the limelight um, is similar to how 3D technology was not necessarily heard of per se, but when James Cameron released the first Avatar film, everybody wanted to do 3D. They saw that movie, they're like, Jesus, this technology is awesome. And 3D is still alive today. Uh, you get, obviously, pretty much every major release comes out in IMAX uh, in 3D. So that's kind of a format which we thought wouldn't last, but kind of did. Um, 
there's yeah. somebody else getting murdered in Halifax, so we can hear the, the sirens in the background. But I think for me, <laughs> when James Cameron finally releases Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5, as he says he's going to do them all at once, if he has some form of VR attachment to those films, I reckon that's going to bring it back. That's the only way that I can ever see it becoming a, a common trend again is something like that. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, I mean, there's, there's much more basic things that we need on our consoles before we go into things like PSVR. Yeah. Um, it's a whole other discussion, but I'd like to see uh, mouse and keyboard support on consoles, making it easier to port um, PC strategy games. So, just to bring you on board, Fortnite supports keyboard and mouse. So, if you ever want to play it, and you can be one of those try-hard guys, use your keyboard and mouse. So you can always tell when somebody's using a keyboard and mouse as well because they always they sort of turn around really quickly and can aim really well. But so there is certain support. Obviously, I don't think all games support it or very little games support it. But yeah, I think the major reason why RTS games don't really do well or the development teams don't want to put them on consoles is for that fact. So watch this space. You never know. Um, the main thing I want Sony to do is, not for me, because I'm kind of happy with mine, but change PSN names if you can do it, like they've been able to do on Xbox for years now. Um, Cross-play, but we obviously discussed that uh, previously. I'm not too fussed on it, but a lot of people are. And backwards compatibility. Even though I have a PS3, I want to be able to be able to play PS1 games, PS2 games, PS3 games, PS4 games. So that kind of brings us on to the second question that Graham posted to us is, if PS5 ever happens, what could it bring? Like, uh, how advanced can consoles get? Um, what are your hopes in the next console generation? What would you want to see? Um, I personally don't think we're going to see a huge advancement in terms of uh, graphics. Okay. Which, yes. uh, and I'm talking textures and uh, fill rates and things like that. What I think we might have a, uh, an advancement in terms of is um, frames per second. I'd really like to see them target 60 frames per second um, at, at 4K. So if you think, if you go back to uh, PS3, well, let's go back to PS2, they were targeting um, 480p. Mm -hmm. PS3, they were targeting... Um, 20 yeah. base PS4 targeted 1080 um, PS4 Pro is somewhere in between and I'd like to see the next console targeting or being able to to do definitely um, 4k with 60 frames per second that's not to say that the current PS4 Pro can't do 4k at 60 frames per second um, it's just you have to make some compromises in terms of graphical quality in order to get there. I'd like to see the kind of graphics that we're getting on Spider-Man or Ratchet and Clank, to name two Insomniac games, mm -hmm. uh, showing up at 60 frames per second rather than 30 frames per second on the next console. Yeah. So I think for me, especially with um, TV prices coming down, uh, it's just the way of technology. The longer it's been out, the cheaper it gets. Uh, the big surge in 4K, HDR, that sort of thing. For me, personally, I'm a real sucker for frame rates. I don't actually care about the frame rate as long as the frame rate is stable. Um, 
60 frames per second, yeah, I get why people want it, especially for first-person shooters and games like that. For action-adventure games, it doesn't bother me as much. Because um, I kind of prefer the, sort of the cinematic uh, feel to games more so than the fact that being it's fast and flowing. I think for me, when I played my first uh, game in 60 frames per second, it felt weird. It felt really weird. Similar to when I watched The Hobbit in IMAX, and they, I think they filmed it in like 48.5 frames a second or something like that. And it felt like everything was going sort of super fast motion. Um, an hour into the film, I got used to it. Similar to when I played my first 60 FPS game, like you kind of get used to it. But PC community are playing games at 144 frames per second, depending on the refresh rate of the monitor, of course. Um, yeah. For me, Backwards compatibility is a must. If they release PS5 tomorrow and it doesn't have backwards compatibility, it's a no for me. Um, I'll still buy it, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm a Sony fanboy, so I'm obviously going to buy it. <laughs> I think where Microsoft have got the, the upper hand, regardless of the fact they're not actually selling as many consoles as the Sony uh, PS4, is they have that. They have the Xbox 360 uh, a few games but will be a larger catalogue of the original Xbox games as backwards compatibility. That, for me, is a console seller. Um, I don't have an Xbox One, uh, but if in the near future I did pick up one, I think I would be playing more 360 and original Xbox games than I would be Xbox One games. So that's a must for me. Um, with regards to sort of graphical advancements, it all depends on the developers. Um, I think cyberpunk uh 2077 uh starfield the new elder scrolls game is going to be a testament of how graphics are going to be advanced in the future because they're going to be being made on um sort of you can't really say next gen uh when it comes to pcs but i know that amd uh have got like a new chipset uh, a new processor, um, yeah. probably a sort of a new graphics processor as well that they're obviously shipping out to developers. So whether those games are being made on that technology or not, it's yet to be seen. But I think the sky's the limit, really. I think the easiest way to explain sort of advancements in technology is if you look when the PS4, uh, PS3 and the Xbox 360 first came out with games like uh, Ghost Recon, Advanced Warfighter, or... Um, Perfect Dark uh, when those games came out they looked amazing uh, but if you go to the end of the console cycle with the games like The Last of Us uh, Last of Us uh, Grand Theft Auto 5 um, sort of like Uncharted 3 games like that uh, the last Gears of War games sort of the last Halo games that came out graphically in comparison it's the same hardware but the development teams managed to push them to the limits and make them look really good so yeah. we've still got a couple of years left with regards to PS4, Xbox One. So whether the games coming out of the last part of the generation cycle are going to be that good, probably, but it has to be a massive jump. For me to invest in a new console, I can't. it can't just be the case of frame rates for me. It has to be like, wow, this is the new thing. Like, it's super realistic. Whether they add something like the games project into your room, a bit like the holodeck, uh, in Star Trek where you enter your room, you switch on the console and it becomes a brand new world. Are we there yet? Probably not, but something like that would be amazing. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not sure that we are going to see that big a boost to the graphics between the generations now, because 
if you think the difference between PS1 and PS2 was enormous, um, and then the difference between PS2 and PS3 wasn't as much, and then PS3 games at the end of their life looked quite a lot like PS4 games at the start of its life. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of, you're getting this kind of convergence where there's some overlap, and, and I can quite see why the last generation lasted 10 years. We just weren't ready to release another console, and seriously, I wouldn't be surprised if we go another two, three years before actually hardware is released. Yeah, I think the cycle isn't over. I think the the only main worry for me is the, the way that the console cycles have gone from uh, PS1 was the king, PS2 was the king, then obviously PS2 to PS3, Sony kind of dropped the ball, uh, and Microsoft sort of came out with the Xbox 360, kicked the doors down and said, yo, this is what we've got, and everybody jumped on board with the, uh, the 360. Obviously, they had the problem with the, the Red Rings of Death, and a lot of people sort of converted then to PS3, but they held the majority of the game in market. And then after that cycle, Xbox did something stupid at E3. They kind of sort of said, we're going to be a media platform more so than a gaming platform. And Sony came out and said, this is a gaming platform. So with regards to, are they going to drop the ball when it comes to releasing the PS5? Hopefully not. They've got the majority share of the market at the moment. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. As for next week, we will be having a guest speaker uh, by the name of Ben Brooks. He is our resident expert on all things horror, horror films, horror games, that sort of genre. So next week's topic, we are going to be covering horror games over the generations. So look forward to that. If you do have any questions or any comments you want to make, hit us up again on our Facebook page. Just search Middle Age Gamers. Uh, and obviously, we're available on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google Play, Spotify. So we've been the Middle Age Gamers. See you next week. Cheers. Okay, and it's goodbye from me.